That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy. Like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Just the Sip. I'm your host, Justin Sylvester. Today, we have decided as a family here that we want to have a conversation about what's happening in the world. There are a lot of people who have asked me time and time again how they should feel and what can they do to help what's happening. And today I'm going to ask those people to come on this show and talk about that with us. They are friends of mine, co-workers of mine, but most importantly, they are people who want to hear about change and what my experience with this is. I just want to let you guys know I have Chris Swanson. He is the sheriff from Flint, Michigan, who took off his gear, who marched for protesters. CNN called him the symbol of healing. You do not want to miss this conversation. You know, you may hear things that you don't agree with, and we are okay with that. We know that. I dare you to get to the end of it. I challenge you to listen to what these people have to say, what I have to say, the questions that have arise, and it might be uncomfortable, but we believe here at E that it's one that we need to have. Please welcome my first guest, Sarah. She's a PA at E. She is a white ally in training, and she just wants to know what she can do for this cause and for this movement. Sarah, welcome to Just a Sip. How are you today? Um, I'm hanging in there. I think it's been a really rough time in, here in LA and like there's been a lot of tensions. Uh, I think everyone is really coming from a place of hurt and trying to figure out how to heal, but I'm working through it just like everybody else. How are you doing? I'm good. How old are you? I'm 23. And where are you from? I'm from New Jersey, actually. I just moved out here in November for this job. Um, I moved it in two oh, weeks. What a, terrible, <laughs> what a terrible time to get to Los Angeles. Yeah, my first year has been filled with COVID and uh, I guess you could say like protests and riots and stuff like that. Everything. Well, obviously, you know, and you guys know out there, but I just want to remind you, Just a Sip is an open forum where we can have a judgment-free conversation and you can express as much or as little as you want, but I am here to answer your questions and to have this dialogue because as a 33-year-old gay man, I just want to let you know that you can ask me whatever you want and I want to know a little bit about you because we're, we're going through the same things, but we're going through them with different emotions and different experiences. 
you know, and you are correct. This year has been, it cannot stop. It cannot stop literally. And I was, I, I talk about this a lot with uh, my white friends and I'm like, I will never have the experience of a person of color, but I will always try to empathize and stand with you and like here to support you. And I think what's important right now is us having a lot of, a lot of conversations within ourselves and it's time for people who are white to educate ourselves and not depend on people of color to do that. So um, one of the questions that I have is I'm always, I'm trying to be the best white ally that I can. I'm like constantly being on social media, looking for different organizations to donate to looking Mm -hmm. um, for always trying to like correct my family members or correct other people around me that might be strutting an incorrect narrative. What do you think is the most important way to be a white ally? Like what are some things that are important to you? You know, I think um, that's a great question. I think having those uncomfortable conversations with family and friends and coworkers is one of the most important things because what happens is when you're asking uncomfortable questions or having uncomfortable conversations with people, it starts the flame in their head. You know, it starts them to start thinking and reflecting on what can I do differently? What can I do to help this cause? And I think when you see these memes that say silence is death and silence means complicity, it's because you have decided to stay silent because you don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation or you want to go ahead and ignore that situation. And I think just starting the conversation is important. Uh, Even if it means putting up a meme about registering to vote, you know, something as simple and American and non-fight inducing like that can make a world of a difference because it's not saying what side you're on. It's saying your vote can really change things, especially of what's going on right now without saying what's going on right now. You know? Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I think it's, to me, I think it's sad that it takes something like this for people to like wake up and realize and to not be silent and to be advocating about it. Um, My question Another question I have for you is how do you feel about virtual and online activism? Because today is Blackout Tuesday. As we know, everyone is posting. Amen. Amen. And everyone is posting these black squares. And it's interesting because it's been said that it's not a Black Lives Matter movement. It's actually mm-hmm. a movement that started kind of like within the white community trying to talk about like the silence that's been going on. And I wonder, I was wondering like, what are your thoughts about this? Um, is this something that you think that should be like done where it's like you should be posting black squares and like talking more about it? Or is that not enough? Like, should you be doing that and going further? Or should you just be like focusing on donating and stuff like that or voting? Or what is your what are your thoughts on that? First of all, great question. The first thing is when people see black squares, it automatically makes them think, why are people posting these black squares? So then people go and Google, what are the black squares about? To which they are then set on the trail of going down the Google hole of figuring out what's going on in America. So I am cool with that. The second thing that we have to remember is, and I tell this to people all the time, you cannot be mad at people for sitting back on a computer screen and being um, what I like to call um, virtual protesters because COVID-19 is still going on. No matter if we wanna talk about it or not, 
yes, would I love everybody to get out there and be a part of the protests and, and shout and, and voice their opinions? I would, but I understand that people are going through a pandemic right now and they may not feel comfortable. Social media is so powerful. We know how it, it can affect people. We know that Kylie Jenner made a billion dollars off of social media. So we shouldn't discourage people from posting something on Blackout Tuesday. Now, I think people got the wrong message about Blackout Tuesday, but I'm not mad about it. Blackout Tuesday was supposed to be, you put a black square up and you let the black voices be heard and be seen. And you're not supposed to use the hashtag Black Lives Matter under the black square because then that defeats the purpose. However, Rome was not built in a day and we all did not get it right in a day. So whatever you did, whatever you thought you were doing, the intention was there. Now, when it comes to all lives matter and black lives matter, let me first start off by saying this is a black issue right now because yes, what happened with George Floyd, what happened with Ahmad, what happened with Trayvon Martin, what happened with Sandra Bland, what happened with all these people is a black issue. But this is an issue about racism. And in my opinion, it might be us today, but tomorrow it's gonna be the Latins. We remember what happened with the Latinx community in, at those borders, stripped from their children, I've seen firsthand what xenophobia looks like when this whole virus started happening. We need to fight this as a community, as a country, and we need to unite. And this is a civil rights and a humanity issue. And I don't want people to feel like, oh, it's a Black Lives Matter situation. I'm not Black. No, because it could be you next. It could be your kids. It could be their husbands or wives in the next generation. Does that make any sense? 100%. I, I completely agree. And it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of my friends in the LGBT community, LGBTQ community plus um, have been saying like a lot of people have been had a lot of qualms and a lot of hurt feelings over the violence and the riots. And they're saying, well, you have to understand that that's Stonewall. Like that's how we got our rights through these like violence and these riots. And like, there's a lot of history behind it. So like before you're going to condemn something that came from like a peaceful protest, like really understand the origins of it. So maybe yeah. that's a question. Um, would maybe you'd like to provide some background or like some clarification between like the violence and like the peaceful protests and like what that all kind of means. <clears throat> yeah. You want to talk about. So look, being at the protest myself, I was there on Sunday. We started out in Beverly Hills. Sorry, this was on Saturday. I was on we the started... outside too. Oh yeah. How nice was it? It was beautiful. Oh my god. It was beautiful. Started at Beverly Hills at 3:30. The speakers were amazing. People were in formation. They were there. They were sitting. They were listening. And we started walking from Beverly Hills at around four o'clock and made it to the Grove at seven. Oh, you! When I started at the top. I started at twelve from Pan Pacific Park. Like, damn girl. So I started at twelve, and then I went through Beverly Hills. And it then was crazy. You. No, it was insane. So we walked and we walked and we walked. And what was so surprising to me, and I'm going to call out the media, even though I'm a part of it, I'm going to call out the media at this point, because the thing that struck me the most about 
the pro the, about the peaceful protests and the march was that it was 60% non-black. Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't okay. know. It was crazy. It was 60% non-black. It was white people, it was Latin people, it was Asian people. It was people of all races, of all ages, of everything. And let me also point out that when I look back on the media coverage of it, all I saw was black looters. All I saw were, were African-American people, you know, looting and destroying public property. And I was so mad that they didn't have the audacity to show how beautiful and how diverse that whole thing was. And being someone who was on the front line and saw exactly what happened, I will tell you that the protesters were not the people looting. I couldn't okay? agree. Yeah. The, when I was leaving, when that first cop car went aflame and that first rubber bullet flew, when went left, I went right home. Okay. Because I don't, I am not one to walk around with one eye. Okay. I'm just letting y'all know. I am saying this in the most honest way possible. We have up our country with putting out half troops because people are running around calling looters protesters. And that is not what's happening. And yes, you're right. Stonewall was a five day fight, bitch. We had to sweat. We had to fight. We had to burn shit. We had to let people know that we were here for our civil rights. And as a gay man, and I'm going to say this as a gay man, sometimes gay men forget that we had to do it at Stonewall and that we had to do it when it was for Prop 8 and y'all wanted to marry and we wanted to, you know, have our husbands with our little white picket fence and adopt a dog named Sherman. We all forgot. So when you're not posting that black box or you're not saying to be an ally, remember, remember how it felt when your straight counterparts, your straight coworkers were posting that rainbow flag in solidarity with you. You felt seen, you felt heard, and you felt like your cause was worth something to people. And also remember, before you wanna mess up your Instagrams and before you wanna, I don't wanna fight with people on Instagram, imagine what those straight people went through with their fraternity brothers and with their cousins and with their family members to have to announce and defend that even though I'm not gay, I believe that gay people should have the same rights as us. Remember that, remember that feeling because we forget about that. And I saw people sitting down at, at Rocco's. I know you saw this having rosé, having tuna tartare and watching the rioters go by. Literally. I was in shock. I was like, y'all, better put your goddamn crowns on and come and fight with these people. Because years ago, when y'all were fighting, we were there with you because we understood. Yeah, and it was really, it's, I don't think that people understand too, like how empowering it was. I felt like I was on a, I had, was like had adrenaline for four or five hours. Cause you see so many people who believe in you and like are willing to support you. And then you see cars coming up at intersections, honking their horns and like shouting with signs. Like people don't understand the power behind that and how impactful that is. No, it's crazy. And look, I will say this in the nicest way possible. You know, I live in Beverly Hills, on the edge of Beverly Hills in West Hollywood, and I live in California, but I grew up in South Louisiana. And 
when people talk about micro racism, when people talk about microaggression towards black people, it's not the racism that the Jim Crow racism that you think about segregated school buses and segregated lines for water fountains. Micro racism is saying things about people's hair or passing over people because they're black for jobs or not inviting a black colleague because it's a white thing or X, Y, and Z or making small comments about, about this or about that. I was reminded that I'm a black man in America. One time I was driving my car and I got pulled over on the side of the road. And it was right around the time that the whole Trayvon Martin thing had happened and tensions were high. Mm -hmm. And I pulled over, it was a normal stop. It was a dark street. And this older white lady in her sixties pulled over as well. She pulled over in front of me. And the cop got out of his car and he was pulling me over. And he said, ma'am, why are you out of your car? And she said, I'm an American. I have the right to be here. And I just want to make sure this young man is okay. And I was taken aback for a moment. I was like, wow, this is really happening in, in 2016, 2017. Wow, this is, wow. And all of a sudden, I had this sinking feeling of shame and guilt that I didn't feel that way for that many years and that I let myself ignore the problem that was happening around me, but also this feeling of realization that although I run in these shishi crowds and I work at this amazing network, bitch, you're still a black man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I completely understand that. And by the way, and. I'm going to just say this because maybe you feel the same way, but I'm sure you feel the same way when you're a 23 year old woman walking alone, you know, from a bar or when you go into a room with a man, you know, by yourself, there might be a small feeling like, Oh, I'm still a 23 year old girl. You know, I definitely felt that way in the protests. I was on my way home. So we were breaking off around like from Beverly Hills on the way to the Grove. We were going home because I got a text message from my boss that was like, hey, I know you're there. Are you near Fairfax and third? And I was like, no, but I live there. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know, Fairfax and third is where a lot of there were cop cars that were. Um, the building blew up at Fairfax. Yeah. Two blocks, th three blocks up. So that's I was with my friends in the moment because I didn't want to go alone. And so we're on our way back and all of a sudden all these police are in lines and we are literally like we're avoiding them we're trying to get we're just trying to get home we get to the street i swear our house or apartment complex um is like like within 100 feet and we say to the cops like can we get home and they're like just push back push back and people are like we're just trying to get home and they were like you have to go around and we were like where am i going to go around so we tried the next street over another blockade of cops we were like, how do we get through? We just want to get home. They're like, go around. We we're like, where? So we try going like uh, onto the next street down further and coming around the backside. We get to another line of cops. And so it's just me and my four like white friends. We already have like privilege of itself just being like white people. And wow. I'm going up to these officers and I'm like, I'm so frustrated at this point because I know it's getting to be almost past curfew. And I'm like, cause it took an hour and a half to get back <laughs> walking from Beverly Hills to Fairfax. Wow. So it's getting, it's getting close to curfew and I'm getting nervous. And they were like, 
like shooing us back. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get home. How do I get home? I'm just trying to get home. And literally the, a cop assumed his position, held the gun straight at me from like a hundred feet away and just was silent. Like he was basically signaling, if you come any closer to me, like I'm going to shoot you with a rubber bullet. And I was just like, I have never felt so helpless and I just wanted to scream and cry. And I was like, this is how people of color feel and as an interaction with the police every, almost every time. And I was, I am so privileged to have grown up in a community. I grew up in a predominantly white community in New Jersey where I've never necessarily been really afraid of cops. I've been, they've made me nervous, but not like I'm going to die if I come into contact with one and to be just so blatantly not heard and then to go home and we had to sneak home. Like we snuck through alleyways behind the cops and like to be there and we get inside and I'm watching on the news and I'm seeing all these black looters. And I was like, there are just people like, why are we showing all the looters? There's still people out protesting. There's still people who are just like trying to legitimately get home and they were cornering and boxing people in and arresting people. And I'm like, 30 minutes ago, that would have been me. Like I would have just been arrested for avoiding, like for being out past, curfew for unlawful assembly and i was just trying to get home and those are some of the stories that aren't being told and that's why it was breaking my heart when i was watching the news and i'm part of the media too so i feel you i'm calling us out all the time it is what it is and you have to call it out and let me just say this because i think a lot of times people don't understand this and i want to literally make this crystal clear as women as gay men, as Black people, we have all felt nervous, afraid, or uncomfortable. Whether we were walking home alone as women, whether we were walking home alone as gay men, whether we were walking down the wrong street as Black men, you have got to take that feeling where you, even if you're white, If you grew up in a bubble and you've never felt like a man was going to take advantage of you or you felt like you were never nervous about anything, then I'm sorry this statement isn't for you. But you have got to take that energy of what you felt like and you have got to empathize with people of color at this moment. And if you can't find that strength, if you just had a life that was free of that stuff, congratulations to you. I'm not judging you. But then you have got to say, wow, I know somebody who may be going through this. I know a coworker, I know a friend, I know a classmate, I know the woman who used to live two blocks down from me. She might be going through this right now. And how would this make me feel if I was going through this? I think that's a great way of putting it. I think like I, my one of my friends texted me the other night because I think that they were having a difficult conversation and they asked, how do you teach a person compassion? And I really had to think about that. And I was just thinking to myself and I was like, I think the way that you do it is taking someone's reality Mm -hmm. and putting it in perspective of another person based on your, their own experiences. So like when it was coming to like the all lives matter and the black lives matter, and it's like people focusing, well, all lives matter. It's not just black lives. And I was trying to explain to someone, well, my dad has multiple sclerosis. So that's like saying, I want to find a cure for multiple sclerosis. And then someone saying, well, what about cancer? It's like, it's not that you're trying to take away from someone else's experience. You're just trying to promote the experience of people who have been silenced and who have been oppressed for so many years. For sure. And I feel like sometimes people use, the reason why all lives matter is not 
being used properly right now is because people are using it in this negative way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that it's not that all lives don't matter. I think at this moment, this is a black issue, but if yeah. you can't connect to that black issue internally, just know that this is an equality thing. This is a human thing mm -hmm. because we are all human. And what's happening right now is a lot of people out there are getting defensive. Yes. They're yeah. getting defensive because they feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean? We need to live in that uncomfortability. Like that's what I was, I was talking to other, there is like everyone, everyone's afraid of being wrong. Everyone has to be right. And people are constantly just taking this random bits of information and believing them rather than trying to question them. And we all, I think, personally, from a white perspective, need to let go of that idea of being right, because at the end of the day, that's not helping anyone and that's not progressing forward. I'm not learning anything from being right. I'm learning things from being wrong and then acting on them. 100%. And just so you know, as an ally or somebody who wants to be an ally or somebody who is even non-Black, you may say the wrong things. Mm -hmm. As somebody who is Black, who knows my own community, we may say the wrong things at times too during this whole thing. I think nothing that you say is wrong at this point. Even if you don't agree with what's happening, it's fine to say, I don't agree with the looting. I don't agree with people damaging property. Guess what, Karen? I don't agree with it either. I don't like it either, bitch. I wanna go to Starbucks and get a grande double shot, no foam latte. Okay. I couldn't. I, I don't care, bitch. I don't want it to happen either. What I don't, that's what I don't like. Okay. So point out, if you're going to point out the negative, point out the positive. Point out, yes. hey, the looting, I can't stand for the looting and I can't stand for the destruction of my community. But I am happy to see people being heard. Okay. Yes. You know, like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, uh, these keyboard Karens. And I'm sorry if you are a keyboard Karen. I love that. I love that term, keyboard Karen. Keyboard Karens right now are going off. And this is what I'm going to tell keyboard Karens. I understand where you're coming from. You are uncomfortable and you like to point out the negative. That's what keyboard Karens do. And I am here for your comments. I really am. But I'm also here for people correcting your ass. Okay. So don't be mad if you comment under my photos and I have the nerve to either A, comment back or B, let the onslaught begin because it's okay to say that you're not down with this because a lot of people, majority of people who are protesting aren't okay with it either. They're not, they're not. I remember it was, there are so many videos that aren't being shown on the news of people who are protesting, literally putting their bodies in front of storefronts, in front of all these different places because they don't want to be associated with the looting. They don't want to be associated with hurting these businesses. So it's all of, there are so many narratives that aren't being shown because it's, it's so much easier to show an aerial shot from a helicopter of hundred people running into a shoe store. And by the way, if you look closely, they're if white. you look closely, they're white. They're wearing black, but they're white. <laughs> and by the way, black people aren't looting a 
fucking REI. What am I gonna do with some camping bullshit? Okay, bitch, I'm not going to the Outbacker. Like, why are you like, come on? Yeah, okay, I'll give it up. I will, I will literally admit this. I will admit this. Black people definitely did that Adidas store. We definitely did that flight <laughs> club on, on Fairbanks. We were definitely taking those tennis shoes, and I am embarrassed about that. And I, But I'm going to laugh about it. It's not funny. I'm going to make a joke about it because I need to talk about it. And the only way to make people listen is to joke about it because it makes them feel less confrontational. Look closely at what the images are showing, okay? There was a video online that showed a non-Black person spray painting a Starbucks. And Black protesters were saying, ma'am, please don't do that. They're going to blame it on Black people. Mm -hmm. I've seen videos of government officials dropping off bricks in the middle of town squares. I have seen, with my own eyes, rocks being left on Sunset Boulevard for people to pick this up. I have this weird feeling, God, I can't believe I'm gonna get into the sci-fi network with you right now because a bitch loves a conspiracy. But we're doing all of this. They're leaving all these things down for us to act a fool. And it's an easy fix. Arrest us up three men. And we, we Gucci. We, we could. We're going to be Gucci. I think if people came from more like a place of love and compassion and wanting to understand, we wouldn't have as many of these problems. But especially with the, I, I didn't even feel threatened until police came. Like the, like for the, at the protests, like everything was fine. And then police came with all of these guns and I got scared. And then that's when people got angry. They're only acting in defense of themselves. First of all, what you're not going to do to a black person is not. Have you ever heard the um, the song Nuck If You Buck? No. There's this term in the black community called nucking and bucking. And nucking means you kind of push up on a black person. So we automatically feel like we have to push up back because we literally had to fight our whole lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my first response as a black man to any sort of threat or or, hey, I'm coming at you, is not to call for help or not to duck and cover. Like, my first response is hold your ground because you might have to defend yourself at this moment. And yeah. I'm a peaceful-ass person. From what I've seen, it doesn't get violent until people threat by standing there with guns and weapons when everyone else is unarmed. Okay, and I'm sorry, I just have to say this. Sarah is white as I am. She is as probably as white as Rose McGowan. You're not wrong. When you look at their skin tone. Maybe white. That hair is Drew Barrymore back in the 90s. This bitch is white. She looks like she, her parents started Tiba. Okay. I'm the daughter of the American Revolution. <laughs> That's how far back my family goes. Thank you. Sarah is white. This is coming from a non-Black person. And again, I'm having this conversation because I feel like people are uncomfortable and scared to ask these questions. Sarah! I love you, Justin. I love you too. And you know what? Thank you so much for having this conversation. And before we get to the main attraction, I just want to say, when I saw the video of this man on the internet, it humbled me and it honestly gave me hope that change is coming and that these riots, this looting and this protesting is going to come to an end because I'm seeing 
a symbol of hope in this man. He is the Flint sheriff that took off his SWAT gear to stand, to listen, and to march with protesters. He has started a movement among law enforcement. I am now seeing other police departments, other National Guard servicemen do the same thing because this man has become a symbol of healing in this country. Please help me welcome the angel from Flint, the man from Michigan, Chris Swanson, everybody. First of all, thanks for having me. When I saw that video, it nearly brought me to tears. Seeing you take your gear off and walk with protesters, what made you do that? What was going through your mind at that moment? I'm gonna tell you that the answer you're about to hear is probably one you don't expect, but uh, today's my 27th year anniversary on the job. I've had tremendous experience in a high crime area. I've got tons of training, but looking back at that video that you saw, it was because yeah. I love people. Yeah. I have always loved people. Uh, I've served on the mission field across the country and I saw the hearts. I saw the pain. I've been watching it all week. And uh, when I saw the first fist bump in the crowd and a mini hug, I said, that's it. We can we can listen to what they're saying. And so there was I, I love to say I planned it. I love to say it was all scripted, but it really wasn't. I just knew a helmet and batons. And those are barriers. And yeah. we already have enough of that in the world today that if we put that aside and we show our vulnerability, not as a sign of weakness, but as a sign of strength. And that's what happened. I saw the first brother come by and I gave him a big old hug. And I said, bro, that guy is not who we are. These cops love you. They will protect you. I love you. And he says, yeah. tell the people. And that's what started. And then the second question, when I asked, what do we need to do now? Did you notice that the group that wasn't organized yet, they were together, they almost answered in unison, walk with us. Because that's wow. all they wanted. They want somebody to listen to them. And that unity together, that was, that was beautiful. 100%. And look, it's so interesting that you bring up that you know cops are our friends and that we can rely and trust on one another but let me ask you this you obviously saw the video of what happened to george floyd as a cop as a sheriff what was going through your mind what was your first instinct rage anger in eight minutes and 46 seconds that cop destroyed years years of inroads years of community police relations just because of that and when how many times do we have to do this how many times do we have to go over and the cavalier attitude that he had standing on the back of his neck with somebody who's prone and handcuffed yes you know, if the role i mean it's not even a justification i don't even need anything more than eight minutes and 46 seconds to know that is all it takes that person is not us that is a crime in progress and i often think what if the roles reverse what if i walk yes. up with an officer yeah, and he's prone and handcuffed and somebody from the community is on his neck. Are you kidding me? It's crazy. And I, you know, for me, when things happen like that in our community, we sit down and we talk about it and we have to have these hard conversations. But on your end, as fellow police officers, did you guys sit and talk and say, oh, by the way, this is what's going on right now. We need to, we need to do something. You know, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, a culture starts from the top. And we have a culture in this office where we take care of people. We take care of people that don't look like us, act like us, or worship like us. The culture mm -hmm. of this office and around here, it starts from what message is the sheriff putting out? And when you show love to people, because police work is protect and serve. Yes. So there's a moment to protect, and there's a moment to answer calls, there's a moment. But 
the majority of our job is to take care of people, to feed people, to encourage yeah. people, to support, to love people. And in police work, let me just tell you, I'm in a high crime area and I've been here since I was 18, right? So it's not yeah. that I don't have a, a tough side and a, and, a, and a strong side, but my heart for people has gotten me more than anything else. I don't need force. I just need a heart for people. And that's the difference. And law enforcement many times sees that vulnerability as a weakness. And that's not, as I said, it's a sign of strength. I love that. And I love that you lead with that kind of purpose, but it seems like that's not every sheriff's department, every police department around the country. What can they do to make these things either not happen or let the community know that this is not okay? Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I believe in my heart that George Floyd changed American policing forever. Uh, there was you a think? tipping point. Yes. Because there was a lot of things that happened before George Floyd. There were a few I know incidents. that. It peaked. And the question is, how many more times do we have to see this? How many more times do we have to go in through this? How many more times? And there was a huge tipping point. And that's why, to answer your question, if policing is done now the way it was the second before George Floyd was even contacted, then that police department, that sheriff's office has missed it. Yeah. If you don't see that the race relations in policing and community relations in policing is the most vital thing you can do right now as a police officer, then we can teach anybody to answer a 911 call. You missed it. And that's why I say it is a culture change on our end. And what we did in law enforcement is we laid down our swords. Yes. We engaged in the community and we turned it around. We made Flint, Michigan a history. And there was people on the other side. You had Quan Adams and Jeff Hawkins and Mr. Franklin from the protesters. Yeah. And yeah. I never, you know, they had to be the same. They had to receive the message. But who had to take the first step? The police. And so my, yeah. I can say it because I am one. It is our burden to set the stage, to lay down your swords, even with all the chaos. This country is reeling in pain. It just came over a pandemic. We have scared people at home. We have cultures. We have lifestyles. We have people that, that are scared to express themselves. This is America. Yeah. Assembly, expression, your right to do these things and where it becomes. So I'm just telling you, I think love covers all. It is a sign of strength in my book. It has got me more than anything else. And that's what happened that day. It was glorious. Flint, Michigan made history. Chris, I'm telling you right now, you better you better run for governor of mother. Okay, you need to be in a higher office because you're right. It's a trickle down effect. Yes. It comes from the top and yes. we need to start teaching these things. My question to you is because, look, you guys didn't know out there on Just a Sip, I'm a black man. And, you know, there are times where I still feel afraid. Yeah. What should you tell people who are still afraid to drive at night to walk in neighborhoods that they would not normally be seeing in. And what, what should people do right now when it comes to this? Okay, I'm gonna answer those two questions. Number one, please, police officers in America, do not give up on your communities. If you've tried 10,000 times to talk to your communities, to engage, try one more time. Don't give up. Even with all the things, I don't care how many times you've been treated horrible, we have to take the first step. Number two, listen and support your police. I'm seeing the acronym all over, all cops are bad. That is not true. There are 800,000 yeah. police officers 
in the country. Hundreds of thousands working right now, white, black, straight, gay, male, female, young, old, veterans and rookies. Listen, this is a noble field. People will give their life to answer a 911 call. So police can't give up on their community. The community can't give up on their police. And when it comes to people who operate in fear, that breaks my heart. Yeah. I wouldn't even, I don't even know because of, of what you just said, what it would be like to drive down the road and just by driving, I have this undertone of fear because of what color I am. The only thing I can relate to that is other times that cause me fear or pain or stress. Like it, it, I know what those things are when there's a dispute in my family or when somebody attacks me unjustly or someone says something horrific because I'm still human. I have yeah. feelings, right? When someone attacks, I, if that's the smallest way that I could understand that someone driving, if that's how they feel all the time driving, are you kidding yeah. me? We're better than that. This country is a great country and, and people need to lay down their swords and stop dividing sides and, and stop making reasons out of nothing. Don't make wrongs right and just listen to people. This country and this world is starving for a voice of calm, a voice of reason and peace, a voice of de-escalation. Chris, are you married? Ah, yeah, to a hot blonde, 26 years. Look, your wife must be like, Chris, when you get home, you are gonna get some good right now because you are changing the world. If your wife is not throwing it on you every night for the next year, <laughs> We, she and I are going to have a conversation. Hey, get this down. I'm sending it to her. Listen, hey. I haven't seen my wife in the last four days, about 35 minutes. So, okay, let's, well, let's let you know something. A lot can go down in 35 minutes, and she better be ready. Okay, because I love you. I'm going to give you a cell phone number. <laughs> Chris, I came to Flint, Michigan a few years ago when the water crisis hit, and I was giving out water to people and listening to the stories. And it was an unbelievable and amazing experience for me. Where are you guys right at right now with the water crisis? Well, I'm gonna tell you, I lived it firsthand. Uh, in January of 2016, we uh, took this office, a flatbed tow truck with cases of water to Pasadena and Saginaw, knocked on the first door and said, ma'am, your water is poison. Here's a case of water. And that had a cascade effect that we're still paying the price today. What happened in the water crisis is the community, my parents live in Flint, the community lost faith in government. Yeah. Government, who is there for the people, dropped the ball and poisoned human beings, little kids. And it wasn't until we saw the lead levels exceed levels of, of normal that we realized there's a problem. And, and I'm going to tell you, we've come a long way. And yeah. we've done a lot of good. And there's been a whole change of leadership, both in the city government and the state government. We're in the best position now to continue to do this, but I'm gonna tell you something, it's never going to end because we already have little ones that are growing that have been infected that are gonna be struggling. Damn. And so we've created a culture that we now to take care of them, but we've changed lead lines. We have new filters, like in this jail right here, um, you know, we were able to put in cascade filters. We test our waters for, for lead and copper all the time. We work with the health department. You know, you have to be proactive and that kind of thing. So yeah. we're getting better, but like all these years later, my parents still drink bottled water. Yeah. You have to do it. And this is what I hate about things that happen like this because we move away from what's really going on in the communities. We're still dealing with COVID-19. You guys are still dealing with the water crisis. Yeah. And I hate that we get away from the messages and we, we only focus on the looting and what the bad things people are doing. And we're not focusing on what people are doing in the community that's good. 
What I'm going to tell you, those things have to be addressed, but don't lose hope. When people lose hope, that's the most dangerous situation to be in. I know I don't have time to go into the, the coronavirus, but I'm going to tell you that this jail that we're in, we're the fourth highest county in the state of Michigan for cases uh, of death and the fifth highest in the cases overall. And I have an inmate population that has zero cases because we take care of people. I have an inmate population that has served, an inmate population's family that's taken care of. We educate our inmates. I mean, there's Damn. so many things that you need to come here and witness, bro. Since March 17th, because of the pandemic, we've served a million pounds of food to the community because their food sources were shut down. Come on, man. Flint's a great place to hang. Yeah, look, I wouldn't live in Flint, but Flint was nice. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, but hey, I don't know if I would. Our, uh, our city has peace, so I got one thing on you. Look, you know what? You might be right, because right now West Hollywood is not looking like the yeah. Taj Mahal right now. But I will say, when I came to Flint, there was a sense of community yes. and a sense of pride in what yeah. people were doing. So, look, yeah, yeah say what you want. You know, That's I ain't right. trying to go to Michigan, but yeah. God damn it, Flint was, I had some pride in Flint. I felt good, because I, I went through Katrina. I went through Katrina. I went through Katrina. Um, I saw what a state does around people who are in need, and it was a reminder of that moment, of the good that came out of Katrina. So, you know what, props to you and what you're doing and the message that you're spreading, because we're seeing it in Des Moines. We're seeing yes. cops in D.C. take a knee. We're seeing this. It is like fire. The, the, the warmth and the goodness of people and the love that you showed those people are spreading, and we are so proud, and we're so happy to have you here at E. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. My next guest on this podcast is actually the friend who was the person who kind of inspired this whole thing. He was one of the first people to reach out to me to know what he could do, how I was feeling. And I'm happy to welcome my friend. He is the owner of an all-inclusive nightclub in Orange County. So he has been on the front lines for equality for a very long time. He is Australian, so he doesn't know the history that we have with racism in America. And I'm happy to have him here to answer some of his questions. Please welcome Luke Nero. Hi, hi, uh, hi. This is normally when the studio audience claps, but because of COVID, <laughs> we have no studio yeah. audience. We, we will be out of an audience. We will be out of an audience. Um, it's so crazy. I'm wondering from a, a gay man's point of view, and also from someone who is not from America, what does this look like for you? What does this feel like? Well, it feels like it is a really clear reminder that I have absolutely zero knowledge in regards to uh, black culture in the United States. It's not part of the learning curve in white people's culture, clearly, right? So we are confronted with it right in our faces, right now. You know, you were on the front lines for some of the marches 
and the movements in the gay community, both in New York and in LA. Do you see the resemblance kind of of what's going on? Well, oppression is oppression. Um, I feel it's an oppression which is slightly different because I, I the oppression of black people is such so ingrained in so many centuries where yes. gays have been, you know, we can kind of blend in or we can, we've been able to blend in or we can hide or we can have a, we can have a lover on the side or, you know what I mean? In, yes. in, I'm talking in regards to centuries, right? So we were still able to live freely. Yes. Yes. We could, I could walk down the street and no one would know if I'm a gay, right? But you, but as a black person, how do you escape it? It's in your melanin, it's in your skin. So you can't escape it. You wake I up. Never, you wake I up. never even thought about it like that. Like I never, ever took the time to think about like as a gay man, you can escape it because I get so mad when I don't see gay men really stand behind this cause or post about this cause or come out and just say one thing. Well, because they still, because just say you're a good looking white gay man, you can still blend into the crowd with all the other straight people and live. You can still have a taste of that, right? But as a black yes. person, you're black. So you can't, you can't, you can't camouflage it. Right, you can't. So, so it's there a hundred percent of the time. There's nothing you can do about it. And you've, I mean, obviously, you you weren't here when Selma was happening and Martin Luther King. Did you ever think in your years of living in America you would see, experience, or be a part of something this crazy? No, well, I didn't think I'd be part of a pandemic either. So there's lots of there's lots of firsts. Here. Like I've had my first earthquake, my first, uh, I was, I too was thrown in, in jail for a few days in New York 14 years ago. So I have, I've had a lot of firsts in my life in the United States. Um, but this has probably the, been the most uh, racial and culturally significant moment I've been confronted with, even in Australian terms. So yes. Do you feel like there are questions that you have for people like me that go unanswered or uncomfortable conversations that you wish that you could have with people? Well, like I called you two days ago because out of my own ignorance, one, I wanted to make sure that you're okay, right? Because yes. I know it's, there's a lot of pressure on you. You're in front of a camera, whatever, and you have a huge, very big social um, network. So I just wanted to check in with you. But I wanted to, like, how do you feel um, when people ask, how, how are you doing? Like, is that, for me, I thought, do I text you? Do I call you? Is that patronizing? But, like, how do you feel when people ask, how are you feeling? You know what? That's actually a really good question because I know a lot of people have lashed out at people for non-Black people for asking that question. And to be honest, I am exhausted. And I am over answering that question, but I understand that where it's, where it's coming from is a place of love and a place of concern. And so for me, yes. So for me, I almost equated it to the week I lost my father. After two days of that question, it comes back again. And you're just like, I'm just so tired of saying how I feel and comforting people because people want to be comforted. But I also understand that my friends just honestly want to make sure that I'm fine. And for me and for a lot of people, I think it starts the uncomfortable conversation 
it gets that fire started. Like, hey, I'm good. Are you posting? Do you feel like you are doing enough? That's where I start to change the conversation. I use it as a moment to bring to light that, yes, I am feeling a certain type of way, but you should also feel uncomfortable that you live in this America and you live in this society and you are not doing what you can do mm -hmm. to make it better. Right. So I've turned it. Okay, well, good. And you know, I don't want to feel like the angry black man because I feel like the, I'm the furthest from that. But I think sometimes people forget because I am on TV, because I do run in, in these social circles with affluent white people that I don't feel this and it's not my struggle, but it has been my struggle since 1986. Well, I, you made it very clear um, when you told me that there's a reason why you drive a white car. And I think everybody should know that um, you chose to drive a white car because that means you are less likely to be pulled over in a luxury car. And that is so up because it's like you, it doesn't matter you're on camera, you have your hard earned money and you go to buy a car, but you still can't buy the car that you want out of fear that you will be pulled over because it will draw attention to you driving that car. And that is really up. It's so bad, but, but it's so simple though. So I feel like it's, it's clean cut messages like that, that people need to know. We're not, we don't know those things. So it's just those little things that are really big reminders of everyday life is not a normal everyday life for you. And let me let you know something. It's crazy that you bring up the story. I didn't choose, like I was looking at a more expensive one that was a tiny bit flashier because I wanted to spend the extra money because I felt like I had earned this car, I'd worked very hard for it. Yes, it was the car dealer who said to me, hey, I would love to sell you that car because it's way more money, but you should probably. He, and I was like, wow, you are, wow. And it took me back for two seconds and he looked at me in a very like, he was also black, granted. No. And I thought to myself, wow, you are absolutely correct. This is my second car that I've purchased in Los Angeles. And this is the second car that I've driven. And I will tell you in a nutshell, when I look at that car every day, when I get in that car, I am thankful that I got that white car. Because had I had the black car with the black rooms, had I had the black car with the black tent, yes, I probably would have been profiled. And that's something that people don't even have to think about. Even when it comes to my workout clothes, I run in Beverly Hills because I live on, I straddle Beverly Hills on West Hollywood. When I'm running in Beverly Hills, it's a different outfit than what I wear when I go to the gym. When I go to the gym, I look like, woo, girl, you could set me on fire with the clothes I have. I wouldn't even care but I make sure I wear my Lululemon or my Nike lime green, you know, track jacket because I don't want people to think that I'm in all black because I'm casing your houses. Mm -hmm. And that is terrible. That and is that terrible. is terrible. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like it's those simple messages that we don't get or we don't, cause we're so busy with our lives, but it's, but it's those simple messages that we can relate to the most or just, you know what I mean? It's like, you have to you have to wear your Lululemon, so you, like you just said, so it doesn't look like you're casing out the casing out the joint. So I'm like, one hundred percent. Let me ask you a question because I find, and I'm ha I'm 
be open and be like, if it didn't cross your mind in your life, that's fine. You can be completely honest. But when you see people, gay men or women posting at the beach or, you know, having a brunch or, you know, what they're drinking at the moment, does it anger you as much as it angers me? It highlights people's complete tone deafness and lack of empathy. I don't, I'm not throwing people under the bus, but I literally went through a lot of profiles on Instagram to see my friends who did post the black picture and my friends. Oh, I did the same thing. And there is a lot who did not do it. And I mean, and these are mixed people. These are mixed people. And they're the ones not posting. I'm like, okay. like what? You know, I often say to people, and I'm a hypocrite because when this all first started, I'm going to call myself out. I'm such a hypocrite. I said, you can't force people to jump on this if they don't want to or if they don't feel the need to. You can't force people to post things. But now that we're so deep into it, I've changed my opinion in the sense that I feel like if you're texting me and you're calling me and you're saying I'm here for you and I'm thinking about you and you haven't posted on your Instagram, it really angers me. And I messed up last night. I had two glasses of wine and a margarita. And I started the avalanche of people. I started the uncomfortable conversations in a group chat with my friends who haven't posted anything. And their response is, well, I donated and I, you know, gave money to X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, how do people know that? How do the people who look up to you and turn to you and see that you're a face in this community, how do people know that you silently donated? If you don't post that you donated, how are they going to know? But I feel like in that moment, what it felt like to me was you're trying to curate your Instagram and you're trying to use, um, you're not, you're trying not to use this platform that you have, that you've been blessed with to have followers and to have people that look at you. Why aren't you using it to say, I feel my friend's pain or I am here with this person or register to vote? You know what I mean? Like even as simple as register to vote, because guess what? The vote is still going to help you. Mm-hmm. Oh, no matter what side you're on. Mm-hmm. And it's primaries today. So, you know. It's primaries today. And I just, I feel a sense of disappointment towards certain people in our friend group. Um, and is the, I also don't want to put, I also don't want to cast shame either because it's not a, it's, I don't feel like it's a well, uh, I don't know about that tactic either. I'm not, I don't put shame on people for not doing it. But I'm very aware of who is part of it, who is listening, and who is simply not. You know what I mean? I'm very, I'm very aware now. It's very clear. You know, it's very clear, especially where I am in Orange County. It's very clear in Orange County, and it's funny. You use the word shame, and I have to stop myself. I have got to stop myself from the shame, but I from shaming people. But I have to be honest. If we are that close. I don't feel like I'm shaming you. I feel like I'm having an uncomfortable conversation. And if a conversation is uncomfortable, it's probably the one that you should have had a long time ago. Right, right. And I don't see it as shaming people. I see it as opening up a new realm of my friendship and my life to people. And I think uncomfortable things, like we don't talk about death in our friend groups. We don't talk about losing our parents or losing you know, siblings early on in our lives because it never comes up. That conversation is never organic. This is an organic time to have a conversation about race 
if you are lucky to have black friends. Yeah. And it's like now's the time, you know. Um, now is the time because you know what? If somebody in your family died, guess what? That conversation would be uncomfortable. Yeah. But it would be organic to have that conversation. So why not have that conversation now? I think it's uh, it's absolute time to have that conversation. So I'm literally, yeah, I have a few names that I'm going to message and say, so I'm just out of curiosity. Why? Just out of curiosity, why haven't you posted a single picture? It's bizarre, but it's really telling on a lot of people's characters. So, um, yeah. And I'm happy that that's coming from, by the way, Luke Nero is Australian. He looks like a young Burt Reynolds. That is white, y'all. He is white as okay? So this is not coming from another black person. I just, yeah, I don't want to be shameful. I don't want people to feel shame. I don't want people to feel like we're coming down on them and I need to watch myself. And I had to apologize to a few people last night. And I didn't mind. I didn't mind apologizing. I got how my work out. How, how was those people's reaction when you did confront them? Like, what was their reaction? Um, one person was very much so like, I have been fighting with family members. I have been fighting with friends all this week, defending this X, Y, and Z. Um, another person said, which I respect and I get it. I work in an industry that's populated by Republican people and I don't want to lose clients, which again, I'm cool with that. If you don't want to lose your bag, I get it. More and on, to you. And in, and in defense to a lot of people down here, that's exactly the scenario. Like they, it's it's Republican land here, right? Mm. For me, I'm for me, one, I'm foreign, so I can one, I can get away with a lot more that comes out of my mouth. But also I'm I just opened up a gay bar and club in the middle of Orange County. So that's already confronting anyway. So there's not much more. I can't confront these people any more than I'm doing already. So so, so the participating in the this movement is it's it's like it comes from an easy place because I'm already there. It's funny because this is the craziest part about all of it. I have friends who can't believe that I'm participating so much in this movement because they think that I am on a network that's predominantly white with predominantly white audience with, you know, with people um, I run in circles that are predominantly Republican and certain people feel a certain way about it. And for me, yeah, I've been kind of quiet this whole time because I was waiting for the moment to make my voice as loud as possible. Because if I'm sitting there and I'm fighting 10 battles in a span of four years, people are like, oh, he's just fighting again. But if I raise my voice for one thing at the right moment, I feel like it's gonna get heard and it's gonna make a difference. And that's why I turned my speaker on during this because it's not about this one incident. It's not about this other incident that happened here or here or here or here. It's about everything. And I waited until the tipping point to really make my message known. And if that makes some people uncomfortable, so be it. And I think there, gonna... there is a there's a fiscal um, line here too. So we talked about how uh, people don't want to um, make their 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 clients uncomfortable, whether they be Republican or or, or very conservative or whatever. People don't want to make their clients uncomfortable. So there's that there's that financial layer that people don't want to upset. They don't want to upset that, right? So so. 
for me, or I'm just using Orange County as an example. I feel like Orange County is a very socially democratic mind frame, right? They all they don't, yes. they don't care down here, to be honest. They don't care. But they are fiscally conservative to the bone. So, bone. so unfortunately, money always rises. Trumps everything. Yes, so always. It trumps everything. So, and, and this is part of the lesson that this whole movement is trying to teach. I know the looting is bad, the destruction of businesses is bad, but the fundamental reason why this is happening is to tell people that the stealing of a handbag and the burning down of a car or a building is still less than the death of a human being, right? And, Amen. And people still don't get that that stolen Gucci handbag is still not as important as the death of a human being. So I want, I want to ask people, tell me which is worse. Pick your lane. It's a very clear lane. It's a very clear lane. And it's, again, I'm going to say it because I don't want anyone to come for my ass on this situation. I understand if you are afraid to do it because you are afraid to lose a job, you're afraid to lose a client, you're afraid to lose that income because I don't know who you have to support, what you've worked for. That is, I am cool, funky cool Medina in that moment. But yes, you are right. You have to think about it that way. If you don't believe in what's going on, and if you can't separate the looting from the protesters because it is two different things, yeah. what is more important? And the news keeps on showing the same things. They keep on showing the negative. They don't show the positive, and that's the problem. And I was there. I saw it. I feel like um, news stations have been highlighted. You can see some of the cracks in their um, reporting. Yes. Now, it's very obvious because we've all been at home. We've been sitting in front of the TV for 24 hours. So when you sit in front of the TV for 24 hours, you start to work out their formulas, right? And it's literally, it's the same destructive loop you could on all networks 20 times a day when it probably happened once in a two hour time frame, it was dealt with and moved on. But as an audience, it's like this whole world is, you know what I mean, like burning to the ground where uh, good editing. And for me, I'm just, I just run a club. I'm not in the world of media. I can see this. You can see the narrative. Much. Yes. Very clear. I'm not here to make anyone feel bad about not participating or about participating. I just want to shed some light in a resourceful way, in a passionate way that just makes you realize that in any way, shape or form that you can start the conversation, you should, even if it's with your kids, start the conversation, start the conversations with your partners, start the conversations with your sisters, brothers, colleagues, coworkers, start those conversations. No matter how big or small you think your, your reach is, it doesn't matter. And if you don't feel comfortable starting those conversations, that's fine as well. Go ahead, log on, blacklivesmatter.com. You can see and get resources on how you can participate actively or silently, but do what you can. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. We super appreciate it. You're welcome. What did you think? What did I think? Um... Anyway, this is the most important day that I call you White Lady Vanessa. Yes. As long as it's clear that I'm not a Karen, that's all I care about. 
<laughs> no, you're a Vanessa. <laughs> you're a Vanessa. Don't make, don't, way, make me a, don't make me sound like a Karen, because originally that's what white lady Vanessa sounded like. But as long as it's clear that that's not, you know, who I am. I want to make this clear as possible. I am not doing this episode to make anyone feel shamed. Of course. If you feel uncomfortable having this conversation and you got through this whole episode and you are here with us today, thank you for sticking around and thank you for being open to listening to this, okay? Mm -hmm. If you made it to the end of this conversation, you have already done more than you realize. That's right. That's the point of having uncomfortable conversations. If you didn't log off, if you didn't say, oh, this is not for me, I applaud you and I appreciate you. Oh, oh my God. This um, is real moment, guys. What was that? That's, that's a curfew hitting a warning. Another curfew for tonight. Another curfew set for tonight at 6 p.m. So this is the climate that we're living in right now. And this is why we're having this conversation. You know, I have a question for you because we talk a lot about your family on this um, podcast about your yeah. roommate and your daughter. Um, <laughs> My gorgeous husband, you mean? You're, you're hot. By the way, your husband is hot. I will I say that. I your know. hot husband and your daughter. What are some of the conversations that you're having as a partner? And what are those conversations that you're having as a parent? Because I don't have either. Nope. See, there's mine. Stand by. Damn. It's going off today. Okay. Um, those are important conversations that I've tried to have in my family for a very long time and felt adamant about having with my daughter since she could understand. I also have an interracial family, so it's been an important conversation. Um, I haven't turned her away from the news. She's seen some of the protests. She's only six years old and some people might you know, disagree with letting her see some of this stuff on the news, but She's seen the protests. She's even seen some of the violence. Um, we try not to let it play all day because I know it can be overwhelming for a six-year-old, but I haven't pushed her out of the room if I've been watching it. And if she asks me questions, I very clearly answer them. And so she's asked me why why everyone's protesting and, and what that means. And so I've kind of tried to explain to her the difference of the protesting versus the looters and the riots. And I've explained that, you know, the people walking with the signs and marching are spreading a message of positivity and they are trying to spread love and equality. And she was like, what does equality mean? And I said that every single person in the world, no matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, no matter what color of their skin, they're the same. And my daughter happens to have her best friend is African-American. So her immediate response was, oh, like me and Zoe. And I oh, said, wow. exactly. yeah, I said, exactly. So she understood immediately. She's like, well, why, why are there fires? And I said, you know, those are more people that are angry. Those are some, some of them are bad people. Some of them are angry people. And I said it, it, but that's not what our message is right now. And I've just really tried to explain that to her, but you know, in my house, even something as little as when I went to the store to buy her, her first set of Barbies, I refused to only buy her blonde Barbie. Good for you. So, her first round of Barbies were multiple African-American Barbies, different hairstyles. There was like a mixed Barbie. There was Good the white Barbie. There was an Indian Barbie. So if you were to look at all of the Barbies in her room, she's got every color, every shape, every size. Because I felt like even something as small as that was still a message to someone 
of that age at three years old, four years old, when she started to get her first dolls. And I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I was went to school at a very mixed school. So I've never understood racism and have never been part of it and wasn't raised that way. So I do fully believe 100% that it starts at home and that it starts very young because my family has always been woke. <laughs> I remember even as far back as when I was a very young girl, my grandmother was a ward of the courts for foster children. Mm -hmm. So she would take on foster children and, and you oversee kind of the foster parents, you know, yes. to make sure that they're doing proper and stuff like that. And we had an African-American girl named Chantal and, who was really just part of our family, who my grandma was the ward of, who would come to family dinners, who would come to holidays, who she bought her prom dress for. Who, So even from the youngest age, I've seen the lines of compassion and caring throughout yeah. my family. And you pass so, that shit down. Yeah. And so I've just, I just really believe like when I saw your post, you started, you kind of posted that meme with like the heart, with the house, with the world that it starts here. And I believe that, you know, we, we are responsible for teaching our children how to be better. 100%. And I look, if you, can teach your kid about Santa Claus and she can grasp the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy or any of those things. I know people say, this is too early to have this conversation. And you know, my response is it's never too early. Mm -hmm. If you know that a man comes down from your chimney and he won't hurt you on, on Christmas day, and he's gonna deliver toys and he might come <laughs> in your house and your kid is like, okay, we cool, we Gucci. Yeah. Then you can talk about how sometimes these people are often seen as harmful and violent, but they are your friends and they are cool and they and they are human. And just because he's darker than you doesn't mean that you're different. You're the same. Mm -hmm. His yeah. skin is just prettier. That's what I would tell my kids. Exactly. You know, yeah. I think it's one of those things where and. I want to do point this out that some people think, oh, I didn't, it's too late. I can't have those conversations because I have teenagers. It's never too late. No, it's definitely not. It's never too late to hey, say, hey, you see what's on the news right here? You know, you, your generation has to be better because my generation or Pop Pop's generation wasn't. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not saying that all people who are, say, silent are bad people. I think people are just in an uncomfortable place. And I will use that ex excuse to help people get over, you know, having those conversations. I see a lot of people on Twitter say, you're not black enough. You've been making excuses for white people for a very long time. And that's not it. I want to make people feel comfortable. Right. I want to make people feel like it's okay to say the wrong thing because it is okay to say the wrong thing right now. Because right. if you say the wrong thing, we can get to a place where we're helping you say the right thing. I was thinking about the word uncomfortable um, with these conversations. And something popped into my mind a little bit. And I thought to myself, well, at least if someone's uncomfortable, it means hopefully that they care. Yes. Versus that they care that they don't want to send the wrong message, that they care that they don't want to insult someone. So I feel like uncomfortable is a better place to be than someone who doesn't give a It's the people who have been able to ignore it. And God, I wish I had that superpower. God, right. 
willing. If I'm ever X-Men or I'm ever bit by a spider, I hope it's the power to ignore what's going ignore on in, in, in yeah. the world. Oh, if I can walk around here and act like COVID never happened, or that racism doesn't exist, or that Ebola is not creeping up on us, or that Barney's New York, you know. <laughs> you and your Barney's. So, <laughs> I, would, I swear to God, I swear yeah. to the Lord, I would literally walk around here and want that superpower. Right. Lion, I don't even give a about being invisible. Let right. me just have the superpower of living in a world with rose-colored glasses. And I think those people have just ignored the problem and have been comfortable ignoring the problem for a very long time. And they want to continue to do it. And I don't know where that comes from because I've never been able to ignore the problem, but I will say this. I equate it to those moments when you were in high school or when you were in junior high and you saw someone get bullied, even if it was a friend Mm -hmm. or even if it was a classmate and you watched and you didn't say anything or you walked past it because you didn't want to get involved. That has happened to me in my life a few times and I have walked past. I will be the first one to admit I walked past But I'm also going to be the first one to admit that later on down the line, it might have been days, it might have been hours, it might have been months, sometimes it's years. I always regret not saying anything. Hmm. Yeah, and you don't want to live in that regret. And I think that that's why ignoring it is a problem. I mean, I don't know that ignoring it gives you the power. I mean, I I know that you're joking and you're saying that like, oh, I would love to be able to ignore things and to live in that bubble, but it is is part of the problem. I'm not joking. I know. And I know that people maybe don't understand what it is to have white privilege because I don't think they actively do it. It's not something that they're doing intentionally. Have you ever seen that video of the coach who lined up all the kids? So just in case anybody listening hasn't seen it, a coach lined up a group of kids, white and black. I think they were high school students. And he told them that they were going to have a race, right? And that every Mm -hmm. kid who answered the question before they started the race should take two steps forward. And he asked a series of questions, you know, like who's ever had to worry where their next meal came from, whose parents are still married. And all of the questions he asked had all of the white students taking two steps forward and all the black students still back in the line. And then he made all of those kids look back and understand, now this is nothing you've done, but this is the example of the life you live. 100%. So powerful. It's so powerful. And it's so easy to have, like even that moment with those kids who probably wouldn't have had it in their homes. My community, and I'm a black person, so I can say this and I can talk, I can talk about this community because I'm a part of it. We sometimes want to get in the street and we protest and we will walk 17 miles to make a point and we will scream in people's faces and we will make a sign and we will gather 10 people to walk our asses from one end of Los Angeles to the next, from one end of DC all the way to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But we don't take the two minute drive to go and vote. Yeah. And I'm gonna remind everybody that you need to take that energy to the polls on November 3rd. Because if you ever thought in your mind that, oh, it didn't matter or my vote is not, doesn't matter. That's the point where we're all on the same playing field. Exactly. When you vote, you, if, if you're worth $2 or $2 billion, a vote costs the same amount of money. 
And it means the same amount when it comes to those numbers. Get out and vote. And I'm telling you right now, if I get word that 30% of you didn't show up or 25% of you didn't show up, I'm going to be so motherfucking mad. It's not even going to be funny. And I'm going to replay all these videos two weeks leading up to November 3rd of how mad you guys were, how you were setting on fire, and how you were up in arms about things. You have got to get out and vote. Right. It's the easiest way to make the change. It's the easiest way. And I never want to hear, I don't have a ride. I didn't have it. I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know where my voting place was. That is easy to do. They send you a, a car. You can get on a bus. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I don't know. And yeah. I want to thank everybody for, again, making it here. Because this was a big deal. If you made it to this point, I'm here. And thank you for having this conversation. I think it was really important for us to, you know, do this. And thank you for having an open dialogue and helping people understand how they can, you know, be supportive and not have it be an angry conversation, have it be a real open dialogue. Thank you guys so much for listening to Just a Sip. I know this wasn't the fun, chirpy, normal, usual conversation that we have, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on everything. So if you want to tweet, hashtag Just the Sip pod, go and leave a comment under the um, comment section of your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget get to subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Um, if you want to tell me something personally, always at the Lady Sitter on Instagram and Twitter. And again, thank you. This was a very important one for myself, for my producers, for my executives, and for everybody out there who feels lost and confused. I'm lost and confused every day. We so are. you are not alone. And thank you to Luke, Nero, Strut, Orange County. Thank you to Sarah, my wonderful PA. Thank you, Chris Swanson, for being a part of this conversation. I really appreciate it, you guys. I'll see you next week.